coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, we got another episode of the fucking pilot's lunatic fringe going off. Uh, Once again, I am the fucking pilot. I'm in the can this time, but this time uh, via Skype we got somebody to talk to. So uh, who the fuck are you? Uh, I'm fucking Jarrett Martin. Good to be talking to you, pilot. Nice, fucking Jarrett Martin. All right. It's been quite a while since I've seen you, my man. How things? Things are good, man. Uh, A little chilly up here in the northwest. I'm looking outside and... We're getting a hell of a lot of snow right now. I was going to say, it's uh, it's not exactly, yeah, not been fantastic weather out your way. Not, not, not very fantastic, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, you know, winters, you know, winters as a, as a, as a pilot or as a skydiver, you know how it is. It's just kind of a little melancholy, but, uh, you know, it's just that time of year. It is what it is. Yeah, for sure. Well, that, now you've got a lot of stuff that you do outside of just jumping as well. So I'm betting that you're doing a shitload of rigging while it's snowing outside. Yeah. Everyone needs their rigs done in the wintertime. So thankfully, uh, that's keeping me busy and, um, hopefully I can get them all wrapped up before the sun pops up. Nice. Nice. Now for, for anybody that's listening that doesn't Scott Ivan knows absolutely nothing about what we're talking about. We'll definitely get more into the, the rigging stuff, but, uh, the very basic of it are you, you fix, sew and pack parachutes and take care of all of us, uh, on the ground so that we don't screw ourselves up in the sky, <laughs> but we'll definitely talk more about that. First off, I want to know, uh, let's let's talk about uh, your beginnings in the sport. Obviously, we're talking about skydiving. How did you get started in skydiving? How did it become uh, part of your life? Yeah, skydiving. Um, man, third generation skydiver. My father was a skydiver. My father's father was a skydiver. Um, they started, or, you know, kind of the family started operating in the 1970s. And um, I started skydiving at a pretty early age. And um, I mean, pretty early on, I just realized that it was going to be my passion. And um, I think um, I think that's going to be, you know, kind of where it starts is just just the family legacy. I don't uh, know anything else other than skydiving. And uh, it's just kind of one of those things where it's like this beautiful, like uh, immersion with a just a crazy bunch of people doing this crazy thing. And um, and yeah, I'm not going to look back. <laughs> sure. Well, when, now when you grow up, obviously I didn't. I didn't grow up in skydiving. I didn't grow up in aviation, so I kind of found my own way there. But um, it, it was never unusual to you that your your grandpa and your dad jumped out of airplanes. I mean, that was just what it was, right? That's just what it was. That was the that was the daily occurrence. I mean, I mean, quite frankly, like uh, uh, it was mostly mostly my dad. I mean, uh, my grandfather passed away non in a non skydiving related accident pretty early on. So I didn't really get to spend much time with his legacy, but at the same time, uh, you know, just watching my father grow up and, uh, you know, I mean, if you were to ask me when I was a kid what I wanted to be when I was growing up, I was like, I wanted to be a sky surfer. You can imagine the mid nineties. <laughs> nice. Yes, I can. I was a, I was a cameraman for a sky surf team back then. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. I mean, let's bring it back. Right. <laughs> Well, so you were, you were one of these kids that uh, played uh, uh, packing weight when you were young and just kind of grew into it. I just grew, I just grew into it, man. I was packing parachutes when I was like 10, 11 years old. Um, I actually started static line when I was 14 years old. So I got, uh, got, I got the early jump. I mean, I had a thousand jumps before I was 16 and yeah, it's just, it's been an incredible ride, man. Um, your father, how did he get started in the sport? Obviously your, your grandfather did, but I'm guessing grandpa was uh, military. Well, no, he, um, 
man, I mean, a history lesson, uh, the old, uh, the old TV show Ripcord, it was like with, um, yeah, you know, those guys, I mean, I think he was just watching, watching that. And he's like, that sounds like a hell of a good idea. And then that's when grandpa started the, uh, started the drop zone right here in the Northwest. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, I think my dad started when he was 17 and, you know, just being exposed to it, just like I was, you just, you just do it. You know, you do what your you do what your parents do. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, for for non jumpers out there, uh, you know, I mean, the the idea of growing up uh, as a baseball player or a golfer or a swimmer seems like a normal thing, but uh, to to grow up jumping out of airplanes as just a normal thing is is pretty it's pretty bananas, <laughs> really. You know, I mean, uh, the Jane Doe out there or John Doe certainly doesn't think that way. Uh, what did your friends think? I mean, did you grow up around a bunch of skydiver friends? Did you have friends your own age? Or were you one of the kids that was hanging around with all the cool jumpers that were, you know, 20 years older than you? Man, and you know what's funny about that is I think about that all the time. Like, I mean, going through school, like I definitely had my childhood friends and I definitely, you know, going through school, I had all my, uh, my friends that were my age. But I mean, after school, like, you know, when I, you know, I got, finished high school at 18 and like when I left high school that, uh, I mean, like hanging out with people my own age, definitely, it definitely went away for a few years until basically like the uh, majority of age came to me and skydiving. Like so in the sense of like, you know, I'm 18 when I graduate high school, there's not very many 18 year old skydivers that had the experience of skydiving that I did. So I'm basically hanging out with people you know, at least a decade older than me. And, um, so it's not only until like right about now, I'm, you know, I'm 28 now. And, uh, and finally there's, you know, there's a, you know, the, the age of skydivers <laughs> has caught up with me. So now I'm finally hanging out with people my own age. So, uh, I think it's great. You know, it's kind of like this whole, uh, you know, this whole, you know, timeline of age and experience. And it's finally nice to be able to, uh, you know, to have a, a legitimate conversation because I feel like, you know, just a couple of years ago, I don't know, I couldn't hold a conversation, <laughs> but uh, now I'm, you know, I'm interacting with people my own age and it's, and it's, and it's great. It's been growing up with skydivers has been probably the best thing for me. And, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the biggest event in my life where, you know, being around mature and, you know, awesome, amazing people, uh, you know, really helped me, uh, kind of progress into uh, who I am today. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, you're, you're put in a situation where you're growing up and, and being influenced by people that are, uh, you know, aptly, you know, just going out and going big and, and uh, by all normal standards are, are kind of on the outside looking, you know, looking not back in, but just looking forward at all this crazy stuff they do. And, and they've got a unique perspective on the world. And that's got to rub off on a kid pretty quickly. You know, you're going to get a pretty worldly view, especially considering skydiving is filled with people from all over the world. Uh, so you, you must have had um, influences from every corner of the earth uh, as you were growing up every influence of the earth for sure um you know i uh didn't get a didn't get really um you know immersed you know abroad until you know probably 2014 2000 you know through 2017 i was uh working over overseas in dubai that was a really nice experience but uh, yeah I'm, i mean you know i'm from a small town you know uh in washington state but um you know i think uh I think a skydiver in Washington and a skydiver in New Zealand and a skydiver in the Middle East, you know, I mean, we have this perspective on life that really made it nice growing up. And, um, you know, 
kind of entering this transition of, you know, being an actual adult as opposed to being like a, you know, what I would call like a 23 year old adult, you know, it's a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And we'll definitely get experience along the way. But I mean, just growing up, you know, like I said, from, from zero to, you know, 23 years old, it's, it was a very rewarding experience to be able to, you know, be raised by essentially, you know, the, the community. Sure. uh, Well, it was, uh, you know, and I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but at some times it's like, I have no idea what life is like outside of this whole circus. Yeah, you you kind of uh, don't really understand what the real world is like because I mean I hate to say it, but our world is is not the real world. It's a, a better version of it, if you ask me. Uh, it was I was just having a conversation with uh, Cornelia Mihai. Uh, who was saying that when she left home, uh, she'd never been outside of Romania and she took off to, you know, take a job at a drop zone without knowing anybody. And as she's on her way through a 48 hour bus trip to get there, her only thought is they're going to be skydivers. It's going to be cool. And of course, she got there and it was exactly that. And it turns out that skydivers, uh, no matter where they're from, are just skydivers with different accents. And it's pretty cool experience. So you ended up kind of said about it. But um, going pretty big in the sport, I mean, you were you were putting up these kind of jump numbers and, and just going full bore. Uh, were you working in the sport or you were just playing? I mean, I've been working in the sport, I mean, forever. I mean, as soon as I was able to pack my pack a parachute, I was I was working. I you started packing main parachutes at the drop zone, you know, probably about 11 or 12 years old. I started packing reserve parachutes under my father's um FAA rigging license supervision at uh, 12 years old, and uh, I mean, other than a couple, uh, other than a couple breaks, I went to university for uh, for aviation. I went to university for air traffic control. But all that while that I was doing that, I mean, I was still trying to make a living in skydiving, and it's been uh, it's just you know you know skydiving is just kind of a constant constant hustle, and you're just trying to you know trying to make it so where you can still skydive. I don't uh, I don't. Uh, that's it, man. And um, it's cool. It's been a wild ride. I've, you know, I went from packing parachutes to, you know, video, you know, videographer as early as I could. I mean, it was pretty funny, man. I'm, you know, 15 years old and I'm videoing people on the first time doing their tandem. And it's just kind of funny, like looking at their facial expressions being like they're super nervous to go on their first skydive. But there's almost this, some kind of uncanny, you know, calmness to like the fact that if a 15 year old kid is, you know, videoing me, then. I'll probably be all right. Sure, and, uh, sure. Well, I just interaction with the passengers, uh, being you know, being at the stage of my life where I was and stuff like that. I thought, I thought it was great. Oh and, yeah. Uh, well, I can only imagine if I went out to make my first tandem and this skinny punk little fifteen-year-old kid walks over and sticks a camera in my face. <laughs> it's pretty. That's cool. it, man. That's totally. It. It's so funny too because it's like you know. I don't know. I had a little speech impediment when I was a kid too. I you know doing these interviews. I'm sure they're you know, playing it at home and they're like, who the hell is your video guy? <laughs> that's and it's like this little 15 year old jerk off. And it's like, how funny is that? Man? Oh, that's fucking great though. I mean, if you think about it, that's just, that's on a whole nother scale. That's epic. Right. And I mean, and just going up even further, right? Like, I mean, I mean, I was 18 years old. I was an AFF instructor and tandem instructor. And it's just like, who the hell is my instructor? This guy, you know, and it's like lip ring, you know, skinny jeans. And it's just like, uh, Man, 
the time. Yeah, man, I, I uh, actually just went over a, a bunch of old photographs I had and saw a picture of me sitting in the plane before I was quite working in the sport. At, I think I couldn't have been, but 26 or 27, and I look like a little fucking punk then. So I can't imagine if an 18-year-old <laughs> comes up and he's my tandem instructor, I'm going to be looking over my shoulder to go, can I, where's the joke, can I have my real instructor? Yeah, I mean, I did. I had, I had one. I remember having one person who was like, not sure about it, but like, sure enough that like we kind of went through the whole process of like having me gear gear her up and like getting in the airplane. But I could tell the whole time she was just not, she was just not super thrilled with it. And uh, she's like, I'm not sure if I'm gonna go. And I'm like, Hey, you'll be fine. I got thousands of jumps, you know. And you know, but you can imagine the picture of you know, like I said, an 18 year old pimply faced kid, and you know. And, you know, not super experienced with, you know, being a tandem instructor at that point. You know, like I said, I was still 18 years old and I was fresh and uh, just trying to like coerce her. Like, hey, you're going to be fine. And the door comes open and she's like, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and too, at 18 years old, I mean, I look back at just myself at 18 years old. I didn't have the people skills that it would take to to take a non-jumper and and, uh, instill in them the confidence that they need to jump out of an airplane. That's a skill that takes some time. Uh, So the fact that anybody was jumping with you says a lot about how well you were doing because damn. (laughs) Yeah. It was great, man. I mean, I probably, I mean, you know, I probably did, you know, 100 or 200 tandem jumps, you know, that year. I eventually went to Hawaii, and Hawaii is kind of a big-time commercial drop zone, so we were cranking them out. And it was cool to be in Hawaii at 18 years old, just graduated high school. Like, man, that was, that was like the prime. Like, I was... That's yeah. living the life, man. That's that exactly, seriously. You know? <laughs> That's going big. Well, so you end up you end up working in the sport. Uh, obviously, it's a it's a family legacy for you, and you're banging them out super young, and you're working in the sport as well. Were you taking it other directions as well? Were you doing other stuff? Were you uh, um, did you get into the base jumping stuff? Did you get into rock climbing or anything like that, or was it all just I'm um, working in the sport now? Yeah, I mean it's pretty diverse. Um, I uh, really, I mean, to play it back, I mean skydiving was always in the background but i mean if you were to ask me like when i was like just starting skydiving it would basically be a story about how i'm just doing this to like pay for flight hours like i wanted to be a pilot man like i'm all about you know flying fighter jets and wanted to get in the military and be that guy and um i got my pilot's license when i was 17 and i was really trying to focus on that in conjunction with working um as a skydiver, but at some point, I think it was like, I think, it, yeah, I think it might've been when I started base jumping. I started base jumping when I was 16 and I was like, man, I like base jumping and I know they're not gonna let me go to flight school flying F-16s and do this crazy gnarly base jumping. You know, I kinda gotta make a decision. And um, man, looking back on it right now, it's like, that was it, man. That was that was that, that's what messed me up right there. That was the moment, huh? <laughs> that was the moment where I was like, all right, cool. Let's just keep on base jumping. And yeah. um, see, I had that. Uh, I had that moment as well. But uh, um, when I would have decided to make that first base jump was also right around the same time I found out I was going to be a dad. So that for me became a no go. Uh, and it's pretty much stayed a no go now. Now I'm just too old and scared of that shit. <laughs> so <laughs> no base hey, jumping man. for me. We we could find an object, I tell you. We get you up there, Dean. <laughs> See, that's the thing is, I know lots of people that would be happy to take me up for my first one. Fuck that! I'll leave that to you guys. No, I am happy to not have the biggest balls in the room. I am just fine with that. 
So yeah, I feel that. you started jumping, uh, you started base jumping. Where was your very first base jump? Very first base jump, uh, Twin Falls, Idaho with Miles Dasher. I, uh, I can't believe, I can't believe it. I just saw him the other day and we just kind of reflected back on like, you know, I was talking to my girlfriend. I'm like, this is the guy, this is the guy who got me all started. And, uh, I was grateful for that. He, uh, you know, he, you know, he taught me, you know, probably when not a lot of people would, I mean, I had the experience, I had everything, but I mean, there's a maturity level that you have to have when you get into base jumping. And I was definitely, you know, pushing it at the age that I was, you know, being 16 and all. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, started base jumping then and, you know, really even now haven't looked back. It's been, it's been a while. I did, I've done, you know, I did my 500th base jump back in 2017 and, um, slowed down considerably since then but um you know it's always there it's kind of always in the back of the you know the repertoire of you know tricks that i can do but um i mean as far as like you know asking me about like you know kind of what i do and on a broad spectrum of things at that time like it was it was skydiving it was base jumping it was flying airplanes um you know skiing being in the northwest i mean i had a lot of different activities at that age but to funnel it all through to skydiving that was uh that was the main gig i always considered myself a skydiver above all else sure well and that seems to be the case with uh, pretty much everybody i've talked to they've got side sports that they do but skydiving and base jumping are all usually that's that's the prime for for everybody that i've talked to now i gotta ask uh, what did dad uh, and and everybody think of you starting base jumping because does is does dad base jump uh, dad has since base jumped, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I couldn't imagine being my dad having, you know, you know, he kind of gets himself into this own situation with who he is as a skydiver, but, you know, to think about like taking it to the next level of, all right, now my kid's a base jumper now, you know, and, you know, being a teenager and being kind of like, you know, anti-authoritarian, my dad's like, Hey, you can't, you can't go base jumping, you know, like this all the time. It's dangerous. You're going to hurt yourself. And I'm like, kind of like, you know, don't tell me what to do. I'm my own man. I'm 16. I'm 17 at this point or whatever like that. I'm sneaking off and I'm base jumping. Uh, oh, man, I just, I, you can imagine. Yeah, you can, and you can see the lead up. You can see the lead up of like, you know, you know, if you know who I am now, you're like, of course, of course your life was going to pan out the way that it was because um, it was just, I mean, it was all risk. Um, you know, I'm thinking I'm invincible. The, the reward was amazing for the few years that it lasted, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, you can imagine I, you know, we can start talking about how it really got me in some deep trouble with, um, you know, my, with my paralyzing accident. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you went big for quite a while and, and, uh, I was kind of segueing into that, uh, with your dad and, and I had a, a friend, uh, you actually might know Charlie Karlinkas. Um, who base jumps all over the place. And I actually taught his dad how to skydive. And his dad started skydiving as an attempt to get closer to his son. And they, you know, would do that kind of stuff together. But I always wondered what it would be like as a parent of a kid that took it that much further. And for for you and for your dad, eventually your pushing it led to like both of your worst nightmares at the time. I mean, it, it, it was a life-changing experience for you. So what, how did all of that come about? Um, yeah, so 2009, just, uh, I was in Hawaii, you know, living the good life. I, um, just crushing it, man. I mean, it was like skydive every day. Then we'd go, you know, scuba dive that we'd go, you know, we'd go into Honolulu, we'd go base jumping, we'd go up to the mountains, we'd go speed flying. And I'm like, man, I am just doing 
action adventure sport after action adventure sport, but just not realizing that, you know, I'm just a kid and I mean, I really don't have the experience to be loading myself up with all this stuff at the rate that I was doing. And, um, and I was just, you know, I was just frothing to like, just kind of pushing, pushing it to the next level. And, um, you know, the stunt, the stunt or the activity that eventually got me was ironically enough, like a, it was a, it was a rigging accident. I, um, was, had this idea to go speed flying with my base rig. And for those that don't know, know, uh, tell us what speed flying is. Okay, so speed flying, uh, um, back then it was called ground launching, but uh, speed flying nowadays, or the sport of speed flying, is um, basically um, taking a, uh, a small skydiving wing type parachute, a small skydiving paraglider, or small paraglider, if you will, just a high speed glider, and instead of jumping it off of a, uh, instead of jumping it out of a, an airplane or off of a bridge or a building or something like that, like base jumping or skydiving, speed flying is um, a more, um, alpine activity where you climb up a mountain with skis or with your you know hiking boots and then you're just going to run down the mountain your parachute is going to um, inflate with air and then you're going to continue to fly away from the train and basically stay relatively close to the train the whole entire flight but um, it's just this kind of bridge between you know skydiving and base jumping and paragliding if you will but it was at the time it was a pretty pretty new idea that you would take these skydiving wings and you would just, you know, run down the mountain. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just this crazy, uh, crazy new sport and we were, and we were pushing it. We were kind of the first ones in Hawaii to do it. And, um, yeah, I mean, that day was, um, that day was crazy. I was just like, let's just take it one step further. I'm going to take my wing and I'm going to, you know, fly down the mountain. I'm going to, I had it rigged up. So where I was going to cut away, cut away that wing, go back into free fall for a while, and then open up a base parachute. And, um, I mean, that stunt for anybody would be, uh, would be quite the, uh, quite the project. But, um, you know, for the, um, for the, you know, for the kid, you know, with, you know, a couple thousand jumps at the time, a couple hundred base jumps at the time, it, it takes a lot, not only in the physical skill of doing the stunt, but to, but the, but the, to, to rig up the harness, to rig up the equipment, it takes a lot. Of, uh, it takes a lot of know-how. And um, yeah, no, that day I just um, was beside myself, and I didn't. Uh, I didn't rig up my equipment right. You'd have to see the contraption that I made. But basically, the three-ring system that I used to release myself, you know, from the parachute. It's you know, a, a simple contraption when you're learning how to skydive. But when you're manipulating it in such that I was to make this project happen, it could be very complex. And, um, when I, um, when I rigged it up, I forgot a key component and the key component was the housings in which your cutaway cables, your release cables slide through. I left them absent and I didn't have any housings to lock down those cables. And so when I launched off the mountain, um, my right set of uh, three rings prematurely released when I was only like a hundred or 200 feet off the ground. And you can imagine that you need the integrity of both risers attached to your harness to you know, maintain the uh, the air the airfoil the airfoil of the wing. And uh, I was jumping a or I was flying a a Chaos 88. You remember the old Chaos? Sure, sure. It's been a, a small canopy to boot. Yeah, so a Chaos 88. Um, it's a small canopy. That's right. And I mean, one of the ris- one of the you know, one of the risers came disconnected, and I had nothing. Your to wing do was folded up. Half the wing was folded up. I mean, it's. It's interesting to see. We have video of it, and it's interesting to see, though, the um, 
you know, the rotation speed, but also the descent rate. It's kind of this weird, even under an 88 square foot parachute, the descent rate was that of like half, you know, it was, it was a weird, you know, you would ex expect it to be faster than it was, but if it was faster than it was, then I would have had enough airspeed to deploy the base parachute that I had, but it wasn't like, I mean, at, at some point I'm, you know, my riser releases and I'm spinning and I'm like, oh man, this is, I'm in a horrible situation. I have only seconds to react. I got to get more material over my head. So I threw out the base parachute anyways, not having enough time to release the other riser, but the airflow, you know, the airspeed that I was going, I didn't just did not have enough airflow to get that um, base parachute inflated. And so it's like the, I, you know, I remember, you know, throwing out the pilot chute, it popping the pins and then the weight of the parachute falling. Oh man, you know, it's, it's not. It, yeah, it was going the opposite direction that I wanted. Listen, your heart fell right along with the uh, parachute. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I just I can recall like just that. Oh man, I got a PLF. You know, the best PLF I could. And uh, and what kind and, of terrain were you over? I mean, you just jumped off a, a mountain, basically. So I'm I'm, a, I'm imagine mountain in hawaii it's just the most gnarly terrain ever it's, lava you know it's rock isn't lava it? volcanic rock Fuck. and tree stumps and uh i mean so anyways i yeah i mean i impact the uh you know mountain doom essentially at uh at whatever rate i was and you know immediately unconscious i uh take another you know i start tomahawking down the hill or whatever like that and uh, you know i just never up until that point, I'd never gotten injured. I'd never broken a bone. I didn't know what it was like to be in such severe pain. Sure. Uh, you know, when I come to, um, there's some hikers, there's some mountain climbers that just happened to get to me. They saw previously my friends fly successfully down the mountain, so they're intrigued by that. But then when I was last to leave the mountain, uh, you know, they see, you know, what could happen. That's, you know, sure. when the plan doesn't go well, actually. And so that caught their attention. They went over to me. Hey man, what was, you know, oh God, you know, how can, you, how can we help you? And I'm like, oh, and I kind of come to you and not realizing the extent of my injuries. I'm like, oh man, that was crazy. I'm in a lot of pain, but like, I'm sure my friends are worried about me. Can you just help me on my feet? I, I need to start hiking down. My friends are down there. And they're like, bro, you are not, you're not going anywhere, you know? And, uh, man, I, uh, I was, uh, at that point I was a paraplegic. I was, my spine cord was severed. I, uh. I laid there on the mountain in Hawaii, and I was like, oh, I'm fucked. Uh, I mean, wow, that's I – mean, how do you – That's that that would be almost impossible for anybody to process, but especially for a kid um, that, you know, the, the that morning was just going big in all aspects. And at that age, you just don't have the fear. There's no consequence. You know, those, those consequences are so far in the back of your mind that especially if you've never injured yourself – I mean, what a fucking reality check to be sitting on the side of a mountain there. Um, obviously, they got you off the mountain and you ended up in the hospital. But when when did you get the diagnosis? When did you have to face the fact that you were now a paraplegic? Yeah. So, I mean, fast forward like three weeks later, I kind of I kind of come to, um, you know, everyone's there and friends and family. A lot of the drop zone support was there. You can imagine the skydiving community at this point. I mean, I, uh, I don't know what kind of picture I'm painting for myself, but I mean, you know, while I look back and I think I was a punk kid, I mean, I still had a great community of friends and people, you know, I mean, you know, it sounds, 
pretentious or whatever to say that I was well liked, but I mean, I'd made friends and they had all gathered around me because, you know, the inevitable declaration of, you know, my injuries was, you know, about to be presented to me. And they're like, Hey man, you just had a, uh, a crazy accident. I don't know if you remember it. And I'm like, I, I do, I do remember it. I mean, uh, but the extent of my injuries were traumatic brain injury. Um, for the first little bit, I thought I was just going to be, you know, mentally disabled. I couldn't, I couldn't vocalize well. I couldn't, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, it's, it had to be just um, mind- politically kept. I thought I was, yeah, I just thought I was going to be, you know, mentally retarded kind of thing. Um, you know, apologies, you know, for, for that use of word. But I mean, that was basically going through my head. You know, I thought I was going to be mentally disabled. Sure. Uh, they also uh, told me um, that um, the big thing that they had to do to save my life was um, repair my um, aorta, aortic um, vessel or sure. you know, basically the, the main... Uh, line that pumps blood from your heart to your body had become ruptured wow and uh, and i remember the doctor telling me about the the um the procedure he's like man you um you ruptured your aorta and you're on the mountain for like three hours before you got in the hospital and i mean i would have bet um he's like i would have bet a year's salary that you'd have been dead by the time you got into the hospital and this is this is queen's medical center um like an hour and a half away from the uh, accident site so it was just like this tremendous like uh, ordeal to repair the um, the uh, the aorta, you know. And he's like the um, the operation is you know a coin toss, regardless of you know what I previously said about being, you know bleeding out for hours before you got here. So he's like, I can't put it into words how incredibly lucky you are that I'm talking to you. Like, I mean, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, it, it always confounds me. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but I, I, and completely unrelated, I had a motorcycle accident years ago and the doctor who I assume was trying to make me feel better, um, did so by telling me that I should be dead, but I should be really happy because I'm not being told you should be dead is not a comforting thing to hear. In retrospect, it probably caused years of PTSD for me. So how was it for you? Because, I mean, fuck, I just survived a motorcycle accident. Uh, but this was legitimately, that was the case. And I, I don't know that having a doctor tell me you should be dead are comforting words. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it, it was probably super discomforting. But, I mean, it was kind of overshadowed by, like, this whole idea of, like, all right, cool, you're alive now. But you're going to be rocking the wheelchair for probably the rest of your life. And that, that was the motherfucker right there. <laughs> and this is at 18? This is at 18 years old, man. Um, at 18 years old, and especially to go from as big as you were going to this new realization. I mean, talk about a fucking challenge, mental challenge, physical challenge. I mean, that. how the hell did you step up to that one? Yeah, dude, I don't even fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I, I like the honesty, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously you would have had a hell of a support system between your family and, and your skydiving family and all your friends and everything, but at the end of the day, that was up to you to, to pick yourself up, so to speak, and keep going forward. I mean, wow. What, what came first? What was the motivation? What got you to say, fuck this, I'm, I'm not giving in? Um... I don't even know if it was really one thing. I mean, like you said, it was just kind of devastating. I was to say that I wasn't even I wasn't even really at my prime, you know, like I mean, 
the the timeline of life was real for me at that at that age you know i could almost like you know if i could set up my life of being like all right cool i'm 18 i'm doing this at 24 i'll be doing this at 34 i'll be doing this like i kind of you know i had a good overall view of how i wanted my life to play out and then it's like at 18 years old it's like oof, no we're gonna do a complete fucking u-turn because half your body doesn't work and uh i'm like you know just completely fucking crushed to i mean it was it was it was really the community man i mean to all those, you know, I, I couldn't be in a diff, I wouldn't, I'd, there's no situation I'd rather be in with the community that I was, I mean, the community picked me up for sure. sure. Well, they, they think that it was me, their own. and that's it, man. And to think it was me, I mean, I had no opportunity to be depressed or to be, to be sad. It was like, I mean, well, now, and I, like within three months, within like I'll just tell you, within three months, like my dad is like, all right, let's fucking get this tandem harness on you. Like, we're gonna get you on a tandem going right now. Wow. Like, I mean, to I mean to think that you know people have less lasting injuries, but take longer to get back in the air. Like, we're talking within less than a reserve repack cycle, I was uh, back in you know, the back air. In the air. Wow. You know, and, um, and I'll tell you what, in three months I was, you know, I skydived with my dad and then like six months I was wearing my own parachute. So you, you went from the junior badass doing all the craziest over the top shit to um, really borderline dead to uh, waking up basically being told you're a paraplegic, you're, you're probably never going to walk again, to three months later being back in the air and six months later jumping basically on your own again? That's yeah, I mean, fucking hell, man. Crazy. So crazy. Actually, I, I, I just, I remembered, and I tell, and I, and I say, and I put this in, in there because the moment you asked me what the moment was, at one point, like I'm sifting through letters, you know, the get well soon, you're going to be fine. You know, we got you if you need anything. You know, you can imagine the letters that get sure. sent to you. You know, and it's like there's a couple. There's a couple things. I think the the big one was. Uh, at the time, there's only a couple uh, paraplegic parachute jumpers, and one of them was uh, Lonnie, Lonnie from Canada. Um, Lonnie is. Um, if you've ever seen a, a picture of a wheelchair base jumper, it's probably him, because he got injured in a. Um, parachute jump um about a couple years before i did but he had wrote to me and um he had wrote to me he's like hey man i'm lonnie i uh, got into a accident such as yours and um and i still base jump and i just any any and the words that he said to me still resonate sure he says you can do even in a wheelchair you can do anything that you want to do sure you can do and but you just have to do it a little bit differently and uh it was it was vague, but it was very um, impactful. You know, it impacted my life incredibly. And like the next letter that I uh, uh, opened up, it was from uh, Steve and Sarah Curtis. Hmm. And uh, from they're from Skydiver, Arizona, and they're like really, you know, world-renowned skydivers. And they had taken the time to to write me a letter. And, um, and uh, in the letter, you know, they say, get well soon. Here's a jump ticket. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, you know, and I used, you know, and I mean, you know, within a year, I think I used that jump ticket. Oh, it was incredible. Epic. You know, I mean, it was like, it was those combination of letters, you know, those, you know, and that's the community. That's sure. those are the type of people, 
you know, like those are like, you know, those should be like scholars. Sure. You know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and they're right here. They're our friends. You know, we see them, you know, and it's just, I mean, those two people specifically, but I mean, it was probably hundreds of people, you know, over the course of the years and even through now, it's just, you know, I mean, absolutely. to say that I didn't get depressed would be, um, you know, it'd be inaccurate because there was times that you could just imagine where I just was like, fuck. Man, I what can't did I even imagine. I, I can't. Uh, I, I don't know how, because I know myself at that age there, I would have never, at least I don't think I would have been equipped uh, in any on any level to handle that kind of stuff. And especially to rebound and, and to do everything that you've done since. Uh, I, I don't think your and my paths had not crossed um, and I had seen a photo of you on a friend's Facebook page that was the most astounding series of photos that I'd ever seen. Uh, one, the first time I saw a picture uh, was you doing a base jump with a mutual friend of ours by the name of Ellis. Uh, and you had just left uh, a cliff on a base jump and he was holding you in his arms. Now, as a skydiver and not a base jumper, I saw that picture and I thought it was just a couple of base jumpers goofing around you know you see that kind of stuff all the time but then i saw the most ridiculous picture of you uh and it's a picture of you having just exited the side of a cliff but your wheelchair is still sitting on the fucking cliff that holy shit man that picture just sent shivers down my spine when i saw that picture it was the most incredible image i'd ever seen uh and uh then I remember meeting you after the fact and not knowing it was you at first and then going, oh, shit, it's him. Holy shit. And uh, it was an instant ridiculous level of respect just because of that one image. And all I could do was paint what I thought that picture was. And then, of course, I found out what the real story was and was even more impressed. I mean, wow. Man, that, uh, that yeah, that was Norway. Norway 2014. I... Uh... That that event changed my life. I mean, as as impactful as that uh, photo was to you, that whole trip experience was to me. I mean, it really um, it kind of just kind of kicked my uh, it kicked my life timeline just a little bit, you know, in the ass. And it's like, all right, cool, you are still doing it. Oh man! And to think about, you know, that was I've had a couple like you know couple peaks in my timeline. If you think about life as a stock market. It, you know, it kind of goes ups and downs in little ways and stuff like that. And, you know, there's obviously a dipping point for the low. Sure. But I mean, at that point, when those pictures were taken, probably right at that exact point, you're looking at, uh, yeah, you're looking at, you're looking at it and you're like, wow, this picture's incredible. And, you know, from my eyes, looking back at the camera guy at that point, I'm like, oh my God, my life is absolutely incredible. Absolutely. Because there I was, you know, like, I mean, you could, you know, like, you know, in that short, 10 seconds of free fall before you have to open your parachute. Like I'm recollecting like, oh man, like just a few years ago, I was laying in a hospital bed thinking that I would never be able to do the things that I'd want to do. Sure. But here I am, I'm doing exactly the things that I want to do. I'm just doing it a little bit differently. Sure. Yeah. I'm, you know, you know, I'm having Ellis having to, you know, be my legs and carry me off the mountain and that, and that extraordinary photo that Max aim took. And later on we do the impossible where I actually sit on the edge of the cliff and I push myself off. Holy shit. Right. I mean, I'll never do that again. But uh, <laughs> All uh, right. Yeah, that whole entire week, man, was just filled with that kind of stuff, man. I mean, you know, legends in the sport just kind of pushing me along. I mean, it was actually miraculous that I didn't get into another accident. Sure. It was just 
much ego and so much like right. passion and like just totally beside ourselves sure as far as what was possible but at the end of the day we you know we'd finish the day like man you guys know i'm in a wheelchair right <laughs> <laughs> you know but i'll tell you what that's kind of one of the amazing things about and maybe it's not just skydivers and I, i've said this on previous podcasts i don't know other extreme sports athletes very well but i have to imagine they have the same basic mentality it's okay yeah fuck that happened sure um let's go let's keep going let's push farther and go more and go harder and and uh, um obviously your case is in the extreme um you know to be launching yourself out of your wheelchair and off a cliff is it's just it's beyond imagination for most people and and even for me who has been in this sport for you know 23 some odd years now what is what does dad think about this i mean i i can't imagine obviously he got you back in the sky but how does he feel about being back in the base jumping yeah i mean you really have to ask him i mean it's just i mean it's crazy to think that tia uh, he handles it well i mean I think his aspect is like, I mean, you got to do what makes people happy. And I mean, um, and I mean, man, it makes me happy. Sure. Uh, I love, I love skydiving. I love base jumping. It's, I hate how I love pushing it because I still push it. And you know, that constant danger is, is, is there, but, um, I don't know. I just get this, I get this, um, I, I grow from every single skydive, every single base jump that I do. I mean, I just feel like I absolutely you know, I, life just gets a little bit better with each and every base jump, and I just continue to do it. And I think I think my dad and like the people who really don't want to see anything bad happen to me, I think they just like, man, nobody is living more than you know than more you. than that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. And it's almost like I mean, I don't think my dad's jealous, but I mean at the same time, I think people look at uh, you know look at my life in that in that in that moment like you did when i'm you know in 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 a skydive or on a base jump and like man i wish i had that oh absolutely of, uh, well you know, i mean well, even uh it's no more than i mean there's nothing more than that no no well you know even in the the i, I was lucky enough to fly you quite a bit when when uh, uh we were working together and and you were jumping and i was flying and of course we did the project where we had you uh rolling out of the back of the tailgate aircraft and and uh, we had to rig everything up and do all this. And uh, I was talking to a non-skydiver friend and, and telling them about this super cool project that I was doing with you. And then I filled them in on the fact that it involved a wheelchair and everything. And they seemed a bit shocked. Uh, and this was a, a non-jumper, didn't understand that, that way of thinking anyway. And uh, I couldn't understand how they couldn't understand them. Well, yeah, yeah, he's in a wheelchair, but we're just going to roll him out of the back of the plane. It's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be fine. I don't, and I, as a skydiver, um, seeing you out there jumping um, and you not not thinking anything of, yeah, I got to get to the plane. Here, guys, lift me up. Let's go. It's not an issue whatsoever. It never even crossed my mind that, oh, yeah, he's in a wheelchair. No, you're just a jumper having to do things slightly differently. Uh, and I always thought that that was just the coolest thing. It was one of the f funnest projects that I'd ever done, sitting and interviewing and talking about how the fact that we were going to pitch the plane up and you're going to roll out of the back of this aircraft and, and tie everything together and, and uh, do it also to show people that we're in a wheelchair that you are not bound by that chair. And it was just the coolest thing ever. Um, I mean, not to the level of, of that photo to me, but still super, super cool. And you've been able to do quite a few things like that, but you've also... 
started up your own business and taken things further on the ground as well as in the air. I mean, you're you're you started up a rigging business, didn't you? Yeah. So I mean, it's been it's been a crazy ride. I mean, from that, I mean that project that we did. I mean, just to talk about it for a second, where we did the. Uh, you the know, wheelie cool it? jump. If you're looking the it up, wheelie on... cool. It was the wheelie cool exit. The wheelie, wheelie cool, cool exit. exit. That's yeah. it. That's it. it the, the Sherpa, man. I, uh, I love that plane. And I remember when I got that plane. It was just, it was incredible. We were all super stoked about it. But more, more importantly, I'm like, as soon as we found out that we we're getting it, I'm like we're throwing the wheelchair out the back of that thing, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you know? And it's like, uh, you know, I mean, I thought that was great. And I mean, and the whole, it seemed like the whole world at that time, you know, uh, was super receptive to like, yeah, let's see how far we can push this whole wheelchair skydiver thing. And yeah, sure. the fact that we organized that jump and I mean that again, like that's just what I'm all about. I'm just, I mean, I'm just looking for that next high, if you will, of like, let's just have fun, man. I mean, life's too short to be you know, stressed about shit. And I mean, we have this, we, we have these toys in front of us. Let's play with them. Kind sure. Of thing. And that was the coolest thing and, about that project is it was, you were having uh, fun, but everybody that was involved in that project was having just as much fun. I'm sitting in the pilot seat of that plane, just, just absolutely stoked out of my mind, trying to see in the mirror as you guys exit. Cause it was so fun. It was so cool. Well, I remember, I remember telling you, I think I remember cause the idea was for you to pitch it up, Yep. but I remember it was just so uncontrollable. I'm like, I don't think you have to pitch it up. I think just the, I don't know the dynamics of the physics of how that worked, but I just remember you being like not pitching it up, right. but being rocketed out of the back of that Sherpa. <laughs> You know, and I mean, it was just we had all the straps and the bungees and there's people trying to chase us out and they're running into the wheelchair. It was chaos. But I mean, the whole it was I mean, it it, it was it it got done flawlessly in the sense of like we the shot was made and the whole idea of like, you know, the freedom from the wheelchair sure. and being able to skydive and the confines of being in the wheelchair. But now you're out in free fall. Sure. And, and, you know, you know, the beautiful desert, and the beautiful airplane. I mean, it was just that was like, you know, as a perfect orchestra of like. Oh, yeah. Amazingness. And I know and that. We have, well, <laughs> I know that that jump and, and not just that jump in particular, but a lot of the stuff that you've done since has been very much to try and demonstrate to people that are in similar situations uh, as you that they're the restrictions are only as far as your mind holds them. You can find a way to do it if you really want to. And I know that's that's a huge theme for you. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's 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 interesting to think because it's like I first get hurt and that's the last thing I want to be is to be, a, you know, to be demonstrating, you know, this awful thing that's happened to myself. But um, I kind of got in the the um, the flow of like, hey, this is important for some people to see. Sure. Just like how Lonnie told me that, you know, everything is going to be all right, man. You just have to keep on. You just keep on living. Sure. That, yeah. That's, that's now, you know, I mean, if I have a higher purpose other than just, you know, doing my life, it's to show people who are in tough situations that the human is resilient. Sure. You know? I mean, if you can pull legs off of a spider and it'll still crawl across the ground, you can do the same thing for a human. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we're resilient people, man. And I mean, we'll just, we'll just keep going. There may be some, and, uh, some guy or some, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I said, and that's, and I, well, that's, that's my thing is just to show people, uh, to show people that, um, you know, you can keep going. 
Well, and there may and, be uh, some, but, some guy or some girl sitting in a wheelchair right now uh, um, that's never jumped out of an airplane, but they've got some goal in mind that they think is a bit out of reach, and you're living proof that that's not true. Exactly. And, um, you know, you know, it, it, you know, and I mean, just the idea that, you know, being alive is better than being dead. And, um, I mean, I'm grateful. Like, it's almost like, you know, you know, if, if something in life was telling me, you know, to slow down, you know, I was just charging hard and, and it's almost like, you know, I'm not spiritual, I'm not religious, but I mean, if, if I were to take it down that path, it's almost like something was telling me like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to take your life on a path. You're not going to like, you know, um, but it's going to be better for you and it's going to be better for the world. It's going to be better for you in the sense that, you know, if you, you know, it's like the wingsuit is about ready. Wingsuit base jumping is about ready to take off. This is 2009 when I get hurt. 2010, you know, was the start of the, uh, you know, wingsuit proximity flying phenomenon. And sure. had I been able-bodied when that uh, whole, you know, <laughs> I can, can imagine. I mean, I just, I just, I would be, I'm, I'm sure that I wouldn't be alive today. I, you know, I would have just pushed myself. And I mean, we have mutual friends that have passed away in the wingsuit base jumping game. And it's, sure. it's, and it's horrifying. And I mean, they've lived their life the way that they have. And I mean, had I had the, had that opportunity, I just, I would not have had the, um, the, the, you know, the patience or the, you um, gone for control, it. I would have just went for yeah, it. You so I mean, for it. And now it's like this whole new life of like, all right, cool, you're in, you're in the wheelchair. Let's, let's show people that you know you can have devastating things and still flourish. Sure. And yeah, just to keep on going with it. It's like you know, I mean, you know, I get, to, you know, I spend a lot of time basically promoting that idea. You know, when I I was in Dubai for three years, and you know, that was essentially my job. I was grateful to have that opportunity to have the resource to be able to do that, to show people, um, the, uh, you know, the fact that I could, that I could flourish, you know, sure. with still being in a wheelchair. Yeah. And, um, and now I'm, um, and now I'm, you know, just kind of transitioning into maybe not being as much of a demonstrator sure. full time with that kind of stuff. Um, when well, you, you, like, um, you started up a, a rigging business for base jumping, is that correct? Um, or you started working uh, on a project anyway. So yeah, so the rigging business that I have now, I have a, I have access to my own TSO. Awesome. You know, yeah. Let's. So what's let's a TSO? What's a TSO? Now. I'm a yeah, TSO. I got the TSO in 2018. Um, and a TSO is what is that? That's from oh, uh, TSO technical standard order. You need a TSO to be able to produce aviation products. So this is from the FAA. This is from the FAA. The Federal Aviation Administration allows me to uh, certify parachute equipment. So yeah, uh, it's cool, man. Um, it's my new project. Like I said, I'm being less of a in-your-face demonstrator with my wheelchair. Like I mean, I would say like when I was, you know, just a couple years ago, like it was my gig to like get on, you know, news outlets and show people, hey, I'm in a wheelchair. I'm skydiving, you know, um, which you know I think was a positive out, positive, you know. For a lot of people who sure. need to see stuff like that, but I've kind of tamed back on that, and and I'm kind of you know not to say I'm a little bit more selfish, but I've started my own business and I'm just trying to, you know, I'm kind of closeted in wheelchair skydiver now and more outgoing parachute rigger. Cool. And um, 
And yeah, it's been great, man. I mean, I, um, I've been rigging for so long and getting this TSO was basically in the timeline. And um, yeah, I'm basically coordinating with the FAA so that I can be allowed to manufacture certified parachuting equipment. And my, my, my main thing is um, pilot rigs. I single parachute harness container systems. Wow. Um, yeah, so I mean, you're a pilot. You've worn parachutes. I have. We should get together. Absolutely, because <laughs> uh, all the bailout rigs that I've ever worn it, suck. <laughs> you got to try out one of mine, man. They're they're rad. They're comfortable. It's the 21st century pilot rig, man. I mean, pilot rigs have been basically unchanged for all these years. And I mean, mine's not drastically a new idea, but I mean, incorporating new things, lightweight materials, awesome comfort pads in the right places. I mean, you're a, you know, you you're um, an experienced skydiver. You know, we'd put a, a ram air parachute in there for you just sure. in case you had to bail out so you're not, you know, descending down into, um, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't into, know what to do sure. under a round parachute. It'd probably scare me more than having to bail out. <laughs> man, there's only one thing you do. That's PLF, man. <laughs> but I always used to tell my uh, passengers my ride-alongs would get in and they'd wear the bailout rigs with the uh, the round parachutes and they'd ask, how, how am I supposed to land this? And I'd, uh, I'd always say, well, you know how the drunk always survives the car wreck? Yeah, I'm like, just close your eyes and go limp. <laughs> yep, that's a good that's a good strategy. That's I, that, I should write that in my instruction manual. Yeah, man, just close your eyes and go limp because, yeah, no, it's, it's not going to go good if you try and do anything with this parachute. Luckily, I've never had anybody bail out on me. <laughs> Right. Luckily, but it's well, especially too, as as uh, sport aviation picks up and and all these uh, light aircraft are coming into play, uh, getting into pilot rigs is a pretty damn good idea. I mean, I think it's. Uh, I mean, I think it has its niche. Like I, the you know, the pilot rig manufacturers that have been around now. It's, I mean, it's been a, it's been stagnant as far as you know ingenuity and development for the last couple decades. And I'm like, here I am. You know, I'm I'm, I'm you know, I got the time. I got. Uh, the resources with the TSO and, uh, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to try it out. You know, I think, uh, you know, my plan B would be for, you know, base rigs and, you know, eventually skydiving rigs if I get the, um, the engineering down, but I'm having a lot of fun with, you know, building pilot rigs. I'm testing them myself. It's pretty wild, man. I mean, I went to PIA, I went to PIA last week and it's like, there's a lot of people being like, what the hell is this? And it's like a guy in a wheelchair selling pilot rigs that he's built you know and he's yeah, that's it's just, awesome it's kind of a it's kind of a weird picture but it's like yeah that's my new thing man and i mean i taught myself how to sew i uh have a whole bunch of sewing machines where i'm you know just having fun i'm cutting materials i'm you know geeking out and uh, it's and you know it's fun you know I'm, you know at the start you know i'm looking out at the window here and it's winter and it's snowing it's it's a perfect wintertime activity um right yeah, you I guys are. It. It's cold as fuck back there, man. I just saw pictures. It's snowing like a madman out there. What the fuck? Man, I think. I think. Yeah, I think it's like a, a not a national emergency, but I mean, it's like a little regional. Like they're like, buckle up because uh, you're not going anywhere for a while, kind of thing. So it's like. A, yeah, it's, well, my it, mom it, is it up happens. in the in the same area. She sent me a picture out of her place, and she's like, "Well, I guess I'm homebound for a little while because it's just dumping snow everywhere up there. This this uh, polar vortex and all this shit's pretty crazy." Yeah, I mean, who knows? I think I think next week it should lighten up a little bit, but uh, 
I, uh, I don't, yeah, for the most part, man, we're, we're, we're snowed in, man. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And that doesn't happen very often there, but, uh, wow. Uh, yeah. I suppose you would it's, get a whole, uh, yeah, that's more of a Midwest thing. And now, yeah, like I said, I'm halfway between Seattle and Portland. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it and, gets uh, cold and it gets up. rainy, but not snow. Not like that. That's, that's pretty crazy. Well, I mean, it's, it, I'll tell you what, man, it's an amazing story you've got from start to, to, to not even the middle. You've still got a long way left to go, but to, to have started out the way that you did and, and to have such an extraordinary beginning in the, in the sport as young as you were and to have the jump numbers that you were and then obviously to have such a horrible accident, but to come back from it and do all the things that you've done since is just, it's a ridiculous story of how resilient not only human beings are, but you specifically. I mean, it's, there aren't that many people that would be able to bounce back quite the way that you did. And uh, uh, between crediting you, crediting your father, and then, of course, the skydiving community for standing behind you and pushing you, man, you've had a hell of a ride. It's, uh, <laughs> and I can't imagine what comes next for you. It's, it's just got to be more of the same. You're, you're not the type to just sit on the sidelines at all that's it man you uh, you nailed it on the head i mean for sure uh yeah just yeah exactly just to recap for sure it's i mean you get into a devastating situation like maybe what happened to me and you know don't uh you know don't look down too much because there's always something if you push hard something will happen and for me it was definitely it was it was my father it was the community and i mean i'm super grateful to be in, a part of the skydiving community and i mean there's always something to be done I'm going to find my way, you know, I mean, I, I feel like I found my way, but I'm always kind of jumping around. Like, it seems like I'm, I'm skydiving or I'm rigging or I'm doing this, you know, inspirational speaking or things like that. And, um, yeah, like you said, like, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll be around for a while. So absolutely. You know, well, and, and, and <laughs> you're not just, uh, you're not just inspiring people that uh, are in similar situations to you. You're inspiring people just in general. Again, we hadn't even met and I had seen that picture and was blown away by it. And, it's that kind of thing that uh, even if someone would never consider doing something like that, just knowing that it's possible uh, is just an amazing thing. So believe me, you should be very proud of yourself. You, uh, you've definitely inspired and pushed a lot of people to be more than they would have been. And that's, that's pretty spectacular, man. It really is. Well, I'll tell you what, man. It's been fantastic talking to you. We haven't talked in way too long, and hopefully we'll get to do it again real soon. Um, any last words, anything you want people to know? Is there a website people should be checking out? Is there an Instagram or a Facebook you want them to go to? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, uh, was doing a better job self-promoting myself, um, a couple years ago, but yeah, you can still hit me up on Facebook. Um, I'm hoping to have a website launched in the next couple of days, summitparachutesystems.com. And, uh, yeah, just kind of look, look out there for some of my exploits. I'll be jumping here and there and, uh, yeah, you'll you'll find me at the drop zone. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. All right, summitparachutesystems.com. That's what they're going to be looking for? That's it, man. Awesome. And it was good talking to you, man. I, uh, I, I miss you, and I hope uh, hope we run into each other uh, here sooner than later. Oh, man, it's a, it's a small world and a smaller sport. You know damn well we will. <laughs> More red wine and jazz, right? Yeah, dude, let's, let's take it back. <laughs> All right, brother. Blue Skies, fantastic talking to you. Take it easy, brother. We'll talk to you later. Absolutely, we will. All right, folks, once again, uh, Lunatic Fringe is brought to you in association with Blue Skies Magazine. You're going to want to go check them out, blueskiesmag.com, blueskiesmag.com. 
lots of kick-ass swag. You can grab T-shirts and keychains and previously published uh, magazines and all kinds of cool shit. So you're going to want to go check them out. As far as finding me, uh, you can find me at The Princess Pilot on Instagram. The reason it's The Princess Pilot is because they don't like me saying fucking as much as I do. Uh, also on Facebook, you can find me as, uh, well, I run the fucking pilot page on Facebook, but it's the FN pilot, E-F-F-I-N pilot. Again, they don't like me cussing so much. Uh, with all the fuckins, it's no G at the end of it. And of course, uh, the fucking pilot.net. You can pull that up and uh, download this podcast or any of the others. Subscribe to them on iTunes, Podbean, CastBox, and a number of others. Uh, it's been great having you. We'll see you next time around on Lunatic Fringe. Blue Skies.